Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to a special shiur tonight on a Tuesday, although we normally don't give classes on a Tuesday. However, t- tonight uh, we are have a special edition regarding uh, Pesach. Why not? We're only a week and a half away from this amazing, most sacred holiday. Tonight's shiur is dedicated Lulu Nishmat Yosef Amram Ben Abraham Shalomo. My late brother-in-law, Zichonoli Vracha, the words of tonight, of Torah that we say tonight, Bileilu Nishmato, may he and Shemaim protect all of Klal Yisrael, Amen, Kenihiratzon. I want to focus on a topic that I must admit is often asked about and inquired about, a topic that a lot of people don't understand when they hear about it and how it works. Many feel it's fictitious. Many feel that it just doesn't work, and uh, a lot of people stay away from it, as we're going to discuss. This topic of mechirat hametz, the topic of selling our hametz prior to Pesach to a non-Jew, a Gentile. I want to go through the history, I want to go through some cases, how it works, and hopefully again we can walk out of here with a better understanding that indeed this is a valid practice, and should be practiced by uh, by all Jews if they want to. So let's just start at the beginning. By midday of the 14th of Nisan, every Jew must have disposed his chametz in his possession. In the past, Jews would plan their food purchases and their meals so that by the time Pesach would come, they would have finished consuming all the Hamed's foods and they wouldn't have to dispose of large quantities. Just now, I was you know, I was told, you know, we, need, we need more snacks for school, for the children. I said, okay, I'm going to go buy some snacks, but I'm going to buy in small quantities. Pesach's around the corner. I'm not going to go do a big shopping. And that's normal to think that. That's the way it was. They would leave only a small amount of Hamed's in order to fulfill the mitzvah bi'ur Hamed's of burning the chametz in the best possible manner. Burning it. This is what it was. We have a little bit left, and we dispose of it. We eliminate it. However, occasionally, one's plan would backfire, and he would find himself possessing a very large quantity of chametz when Pesach arrived. In such a case, if he didn't mind losing the chametz, he could burn it, or give it to a a non-Jew, a a decent non-Jew as a gift. And he didn't want to lose the whole value. What he could have done was sell it. And that's what people did. As long as the time of the prohibition did not go into effect yet, it's permissible to sell the hametz and receive its full value. The the time for the prohibition is the sixth hour of the day. That's a a time where we cannot benefit from any hametz. And... Uh, on Erev Pesach, and until that time, it's permissible to sell hametz. Now, this was especially important to food merchants who would remain with large stocks of hametz before Pesach and had no choice to sell it to a non-Jew in order to avoid a, a great financial loss. Uh, even if a non-Jew could not be found who was seriously interested in buying all hametz, um, in fact, the Chachamim right learned from the Gemara that it's permissible for a Jew to tell a Gentile, listen, even though you, I know you don't need so much chametz, but buy all of my chametz for a full price, and if you want, I will buy it back for you from you after Pesach. 
According to the Gemara, even saying such a statement uh, is allowed. But this only took place for large merchants, people that sold lots of food and had a lot of Hametz inventory. Uh, about 400 years ago, about 400 years ago, many Jews living in Europe began to support themselves through the production and sale of whiskey. This was because um, the landowners would often contract Jews to manage their affairs, and it was common for them to lease the distilleries and the, the inns, the hotels that were you know, housing the people to Jews in exchange for a fixed price or even a percentage of the sales of the whiskey. This whiskey, as we know, is made from barley or wheat. It's considered hametz gamur. It's pure hametz. To prevent a huge financial loss uh, that would come each year by disposing all of this expensive whiskey, it became necessary to sell the hametz to a Gentile before Pesach and buy it back again immediately thereafter so that you can continue selling the whiskey as usual after Pesach. Now, the problem was that over time, rabbinical leaders noticed that the sale that was being conducted was often carried out improperly. And it led to very serious problems because if the sale is, is not valid, then the chametz remains in the possession of the Jew. And every hour that passes on Pesach, he violates a biblical command of bali ra'e bali of owning and seeing chametz. Um, not only that, there's also a rabbinical commandment that you're, it's forbidden to derive benefit from chametz after Pesach. Chametz shavar la Pesach. And it needs to be co- completely destroyed. So therefore, rabbinic authorities used to oversee or began to oversee the sale of the chametz to make sure that the sale was done properly. Now, seeing that the sale was done in an orderly manner and things were kefi halacha, other Jews, besides the ones that belonged into these whiskey companies and, and large merchants, other Jews began to participate in the transaction in order to save their own chametz from being lost. And that's how mechirat chametz, as we know it, began to spread and became increasingly common. Now, there are a number of rabbis who claimed that mechirat chametz was not really a, a sale, that it was a fiction, um, for multiple reasons. Firstly, it's clear that after Pesach, the chametz was going to return to the Jew. That's reason number one not to believe this is a good sale. Number two, no sales tax is paid to the government on this sale. In every country in the world, there's a sales tax. As far as I know, maybe I'm wrong, but there's no sales tax being done over here. So maybe it's not a valid sale. Uh, thirdly, in a normal sale, the buyer pays for all the hametz and physically takes it into his possession. But here, the Gentile neither pays full price and he doesn't take the hametz with him. So maybe this whole sale is fictitious. It's a fiction. It's not right. In fact, there are many chachamim that held this way. Um, some say that you shouldn't rely on mechilat hametz except in extreme situations to prevent a significant loss. One, um, one, some say that you can only sell hametz to goy if it's an irrevocable sale. And after Pesach, you cannot buy the hametz back. One of the great Chachamim 
who who held that Mechirat uh, Chametz is a no-go was the Vilna Gaon. Vilna Gaon, the Gaon of Vilna, the Gra. He held that no, you can't sell Chametz in in such a situation. It can only it, 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 only to sell it must be irrevocable. Can't buy it back at the end. Then what's the point of selling it? Um, over time, as we're going to see, several of the concerns that I mentioned that were opposed to selling chametz um, became, uh, I guess, irrelevant given the various clauses that we add in the um, in the sale document. Uh, nowadays, we sell our chametz to knowledgeable Gentiles. In the olden days, sometimes the Gentiles didn't even know what was happening, but today... The non-Jews understand very clearly the legal ramifications of the sale. Another allegation that people had was that uh, the chametz was sold for a symbolic sum, um, and uh, and those opposed the sale claimed that the the seller didn't didn't really have full intention to sell. And the answer to this problem was that the Jewish seller agreed to sell his chametz for a nominal fee in order to save himself from. Violating the mitzvah of Balyere Bayimatse. Nowadays, our custom is to sell the chametz for its full value, as we're going to go on to explain, which effectively eliminates um, uh, this issue. Um, nevertheless, even though there are big chachamim that didn't allow it, the vast majority of poskim say that mechirat chametz may be relied upon uh, and is valid just like any other sale. Uh, the gen- why? Because the non-Jew can refuse to sell the chametz back to the Jew after Pesach. If the non-Jew says, I want to keep the chametz, it's his. Done. It's a bona fide sale. It's not a fiction. And in order to prevent even the appearance of a fiction, the rabbis made it a practice to be extremely meticulous about the details of the sale. Um, that That we are to make sure that every method of acquisition is used. In halakha, there are multiple ways that a person can acquire an object. And therefore, we and, and during the sale of chametz, for anyone that, that wants to come, Baruch Abba, you will see that all these methods are used. So that's clear that the sale is effective according to all opinions, and as well, according to the uh, government laws uh, too. Regarding payment, a bill of sale is written up to reflect the actual value of chametz and the non-Jew pays a deposit. Many merchants nowadays pay a deposit and the remainder of the sum is charged him as a debt. Is charged him as a debt. But again, that does not prevent the completion of the purchase. After Pesach, the non-Jew decides if he wants to keep the chametz, he must pay the debt. And if he wants to sell the chametz back to the Jew, the Jew repays the cash deposit, and in return for the chametz, he pardons the, the debt of the non-Jew from before Pesach. The reason why there's no tax on mechirat chametz is because the government understands that this sale is carried out for religious purposes and not commercial purposes, and that's why the tax is waived. So in order to reinforce the sale, that it resembles any other sale in which the buyer takes the purchase item into his possession, what did the rabbis do? As far as you're concerned, you're thinking, but Mechamet remains in my house. The rabbis made it that the Jew sells to the Gentile the ground in which the Chametz rests. And thereby, thereby, it transfers the Chametz with the ground into the Gentile's possession. 
It's amazing. There's only one problem with this. Eretz Israel. If you live in Israel, it's forbidden to sell land to a non-Jew. Can't do it. So what do they do in Eretz Israel, where it's forbidden? The area is rented. And therefore, some, and, and therefore that's what they do in order to transfer not just the Hametz, but even the, uh, the land where the Hametz rests on. And some say that even outside of Eretz Israel, that's what a person um, uh, should do. The, the, the uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein writes in his Teshuvot, the Gord Moshe writes that anybody can sell Hametz, even if the, the seller is a non-observant Jew. He can, you know, write up a document and sell Hamed, but Yavad, right? Obviously, it's best to go through uh, rabbinical middlemen as, as what we do nowadays to know all the laws, but it is possible uh, to do so. So for whom exactly is this Mechira intended for today? Um, in recent generations, new storage methods have been introduced that allow um, us to preserve a lot of food for long periods of time. And that's why food manufacturers and uh, and dealers are in large possessions and large inventories of food, and they need to sell their chametz before Pesach in order not to lose the value of their stock. Not only that, if food manufacturers were to make a point of getting rid of their whole inventory from before Pesach, it would take days or even weeks to restock and market their products, and in the meantime, they would lose business. People would go to competitors. And even if there were no competitors to seize the opportunity, it would cause a great inconvenience to buyers who are unable to purchase the Hametz foods during the week of, of Pesach, or during the weeks after Pesach, sorry. Um, so what do factory owners and food chains and stores, what do they do? Simple, like we said, they sell their Hametz prior to Pesach to a non-Jew, and as soon as Pesach passes, they buy it again and remarket it. In principle, anybody can sell his chametz to a non-Jew via Mechirat Chametz organized by his local rabbis. Everyone can do so. And he may do so even if he only wishes to sell a small amount of chametz. I have one box of spaghetti sitting in my pantry, and that's what I want to sell. And you can do so. Because once it's been sold... The Jew no longer violates the prohibition relating um, relating to Hametz. Um, and that's what we advise everybody to do. We advise, we advise everyone to participate in Mechirat Hametz because sometimes you don't realize that you have Hametz in certain products that may not be Hametz Gamur. For example, there may be some flavored medicines that uh, could pose a problem. They may contain some small amount of Hametz. But, um, so, we, we sell them just, just to be sure, just to get rid of it. We're selling the item. You know, flavor does, uh, does pose a problem. Whenever there's something flavor, flavorful, then there is something to be worried about um, if, if, the, if the item has a, has a chametz in it. So, therefore, to avoid all doubt, what we do and we recommend is to sell the item. One of the big questions that comes up is what happens if a person owns shares of a company or he has money invested directed uh, di directly into a stock that produces hametz so does he have to sell these shares prior to pesach technically you're an owner of the company and that means you uh, you own the hametz so what is it you 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 own shares so 
according to according to some post scheme, you have to indeed sell these shares. Because how can you how could it possibly be that you own shares of a company that have Hamid? And therefore, in your document to the Goy, you have to write that you uh, you are selling uh, 50 shares of this company worth $10 and therefore uh, cost $500. There are some that hold that way. However, according to the letter of the law, if you don't have any decision-making power in the company, then you are considered a creditor uh, and you're not considered a partner in the company and therefore you're not required to sell uh, sell your shares. Um, now, you want to sell your shares to um, satisfy all the opinions, that's fine. But again, it's not it's not necessary. Um, concerning chametz gamur, that's pure, pure chametz, wheat, barley, beer, whiskey, um, you want to make sure, some people, some people are strict and say, if it's chametz gamur, you only sell if it's um, a large quantity or a big loss. Big loss. I have, uh, not me personally, but some people have a big stash of whiskey worth uh, tens of thousands of dollars. Hamed's Gamur, it's a big loss. Just to just dump it down the toilet, who would do that? So therefore you sell it to um, to a non-Jew. Um, every person has to decide, make a decision what he wants to sell, what he feels comfortable. If you're able to consume of the Hamed's before Pesach or get rid of it some way and it's not going to affect you, that's probably the best way. But again, a lot of people choose to, to sell the hametz to a goy, and there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. Um, okay. <clears throat> Every Jew, before selling the hametz, needs to read the authorization contract that he's going to be signing. It's very important. Um and I hope people do this. I know we've already sent out our own forms, but I hope people do this because he needs to understand that he is empowering the rabbi or whoever it is, the middleman, to sell his chametz and that that sale is absolute. Um, however, if for whatever reason he just filled out the form and didn't read that big paragraph, he just relied on the rabbi, the sale is still valid. Um, uh, because if the Gentile comes during Pesach to take the chametz, and the rabbi tells the Jew that the chametz indeed belongs to the non-Jew, you have to give it to him. The Jew is going to do so. If the rabbi says, you go to that address, in that cupboard, in, in that kitchen, you have to give him the chametz. The seller needs to write his name, his address, clear script on the contract so that the, so that the non-Jew knows who he is and where he lives. In this manner, the non-Jew can now, or will be able if he wants, to go to the seller's house and take the chametz if he wishes. Best, and some do this, uh, we, we at Kehillah Center do this, is to give a Gentile, the Gentile, the key to a place where the chametz is located. So he can actually enter the place whenever he wants. So you're probably thinking, wait, I don't, I don't, give, I don't give my key to my house to the non-Jew. What's, what's the rabbi talking about? So what we do is we give the key to the synagogue. One of the keys to the synagogue we give to the non-Jew. Because there is chametz in the synagogue. And that's a symbolic act. That here you actually have a key. And you can come and take whatever chametz. The chametz is yours. You paid for it. Um, in practice though, you don't have to give the key. If you give the person the cell, the cell phone number or your phone number. 
So when the when the when the non-Jew wants a chametz, he can call and come and take it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the most important principle is that sellers of chametz know that after the sale, the chametz belongs to the non-Jew, and the seller must allow him, if he so wishes, to come and take the chametz. Ideally, the seller should indicate on the form the various types of hametz and their prices on, on, on this contract that the rabbi gives him to sign. And some people are very meticulous about this. However, in, in practice, it's very difficult to carry out, to put the exact prices of all the hametz. You know, you're going to sit there with a calculator, look at all your bills from, uh, from your supermarket and wonder, oh, plus tax. Okay, it's very difficult to carry out. So therefore, the custom is just to write all the hametz in one's possession is included in the sale. And the price is a general price with the that is the accepted market price. And that's what we stipulate over there. That it could be a little bit more, it could be a little bit less, whatever is determined by the appraisers if they indeed do want to purchase all the hametz that is there uh, when the holiday is over to purchase all the hametz further to what the, they gave us as a deposit. Um, in the contract, we write exactly where the hametz is located. Upper left cabinet in the kitchen. Room to the right of the bathroom in the basement. Uh, this box, as specific as you can get. You can write several places. Again, even if you didn't do so, the sale is still valid. Though all the all the hametz should be made sure to be gathered and labeled. Um, this must be done when? Like we mentioned in the beginning, it should be done by the sixth hour of Erev Pesach. This year, obviously it's a special year. We're going to be selling the Hametz just prior to the onset of Shabbat on Friday. So a little bit before the onset of Erev Pesach, uh, we will be getting together to sell the Hametz to uh, the non-Jew. Uh, the preferred custom is to sell or to rent the non-Jew the place, like we said, where the Hametz rests, so that the Hametz will be in the possession of the non-Jew, and the sale will be like any other sale in which uh, the buyer is able to transfer possession. A person is allowed to sell Hametz through proxy, and that who writes all the relevant details and signs on the owner's behalf. A person can sell Hametz over the phone, by a fax, via the internet, Google form like we do. Usually the person who, who's selling the chametz uh, performs an, an act of acquisition. We call this a kinyan in order to empower the rabbis of shaliach. But the kinyan is not crucial. The most important thing is the transaction between the rabbi and the non-Jew, which is effective for everyone who has appointed the rabbi to sell, um, who's, to sell his chametz. Um, sometimes people are worried. And they don't know if the rabbi is going to come through. So they fill out five different forms. I'm going to sell my chametz with this rabbi and that rabbi and that rabbi and that rabbi. You know, just to get a thing. We don't recommend doing that. If a person does do that, you should know that the one that is valid was the one that was sold first. Um, the reason why we don't recommend doing that is because it seems deceitful. Um, unless you're really, really worried that Rabbi A won't sell your chametz in time, then fine. But um, we, we recommend sticking to one rabbi. And the, uh, if you were to use two or three, the one who sells first is the one that is, um, the, the sale that is valid. If a person is unable to sell his chametz due to some 
onus or unavoidable reason, a person's friend is allowed to sell his chametz for him even without his permission. Zachin laadam afilu lo befanav. Our rabbis tell us, since it's beneficial for the owner, a person can act to benefit another person. Zachin laadam afilu lo befanav, even without his permission. Because you're doing from a big misfah. So therefore, this is something that, that uh, we allow. What about public kitchens? that belong to public institutions. So, again, the manager or whoever the representative, he is uh, instructed to sell the hametz. Now, one of the big questions that's asked is hametz that is absorbed in utensils. I have a hametz pot. Do I sell the hametz that is inside the pot? So, we don't do that. We don't sell the hametz that is absorbed in the utensils. Uh, quite, quite a few laws, like I just explained, were introduced in order to make clear that this is an actual sale. If a, per- if a person starts writing, I am selling the absorbed chametz in my frying pan, then it, it appears to be lacking seriousness because the chametz that is absorbed in the frying pan and the pot has no value and nobody's interested, not, no, no non-Jew is interested in buying chametz absorbed in utensils. The same applies to the chametz that are stuck to the utensils. So we don't indicate this um, in, the, in the sale of the contract. Of course, selling the utensils themselves is something that we don't do at all. Because then after Pesach, you would be required to immerse these kelim in a mikveh. So therefore, that's something that, um, that we don't do. So what do we do if you do indeed have chametz on these utensils or, uh, you know, little grease of chametz that could be there okay sometimes they're difficult to clean and we can't clean them so what what do i do i don't want to own chametz so um the truth is you've nullified this chametz you've nullified it you've said you're kal hamira so any chametz that 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 you have is now nullified it's less than a kezait in total less than the 30 grams and there's no not even a need to burn it according to most uh most poskim so therefore, um, not, nothing to worry about over there, especially if you've taken these items and utensils and put, run them through a dishwasher and the soap made them pagum. We spoke about this in the last year. The soap then spoiled any remnants of hametz. So you don't have to worry about that. Don't go uh, specifying on your document, you know, I, I want to sell the hametz that is absorbed or found on the bottom of my pen. That's not something uh, we want to do. Um, all right. One of the big she'elot that come up with regards to selling chametz is what happens if someone is living abroad or is celebrating the holiday in a different country. The sale must take place, we, we learned, while it's still permitted to benefit from, from chametz. So that is prior to the sixth hour of the day on Erev Pesach. Um, once that time passed, no longer is it uh, allowed to derive benefit from the chametz, and therefore you're not allowed to sell it to a goy. Um, instead, if, you, if this time passes, you now have to destroy your chametz. Now, in order to allow people to sell the chametz until the last minute, mechirat chametz, the selling of the chametz to a goy, we do this right before. We want to give everyone the opportunity 
to, uh, to do so in the Hametz sells. That doesn't mean, by the way, that the rabbi has to wait to the last minute to make the transaction with the goy. We also stipulate in the process that um, I'm selling all this chametz that is represented by these papers, and we're also including, we make this stipulation, we're also including faxes or emails or submissions or phone calls that are going to happen within the next hour until uh, 12 o'clock or whenever that last uh, moment is. So the, the goy is aware of that. He, the non-Jews aware that there's still more chametz that could trickle in. Um, now, the prohibition takes effect according to one's location. In Israel, the sixth hour of the day, which we said that is the prohibited time, is approximately seven hours before the East Coast here in Toronto, the East Coast Eastern Standard Time. So a Canadian resident who is in Israel must sell his chametz in Israel. Because if he sells his chametz according to the deadline in Canada, then that sale will take place after the onset of the prohibition that's incumbent upon him at that moment living in Israel. Or he's in Israel. The end of Pesach also poses a problem for that person. Because this, this person who is now in Israel celebrating the holiday, we're not going to get into this discussion, it's a discussion on its own, but he has to observe two Yamim Tovim, two Yom Tovs, while everybody else in Israel is one. And which means that the prohibition of Hametz applies to him until the end of the eighth day of Pesach. But in Israel, the Hametz is already bought back from the non-Jew after the seventh day. But it's not a problem for, for him to sell his chametz in Israel. Ah, but why? How is it not a problem if they're buying it back a day before he's allowed to even partake in it? So the answer is as follows. Even though the goy sells the chametz back at the end of seven days, since this Canadian resident is still observing Pesach according to the custom of the Jews in Chutzlaaretz, living back in Canada, that means he's not interested in buying the chametz back. I'm not interested in buying the chametz back. So what is, what is the status of his chametz? His chametz remains hefker. Hefker is ownerless. When something is ownerless, it, it goes into the possession of the beddin, the rabbinical court. And only after Yom Tov Sheni Shel Galiot, meaning only after the eighth day of Pesach, which is his second Yom Tov of the second Chag, once that passes, the Chametz returns to his, his possession. If his family remained in Canada and they planned to eat Chametz after the prohibition started in Israel, then he needs to renounce his ownership of his portion of the Chametz and his family sells uh, the Chametz over there. If, assuming that he's in Israel, because otherwise you can't have the best of both worlds. Um, a resident of Israel, what about the other way around? What if you have a an Israeli, a resident of Israel, who travels to Canada or the United States, he, in principle, is allowed to sell his chametz in Canada, because according to most poskim, the obligation to eliminate the chametz depends, like we said, on the owner's location not the location of the chametz. So although he has chametz in Israel, it all goes according to where he is at that moment. But, 
it is still preferable to sell it in Eretz Yisrael in order to satisfy all the opinions of the poskim, because some say that you must eliminate chametz according to the location of the chametz. And if this is the case, since Israel comes first, because they're seven hours ahead, then that's what we should do. In fact, this is how Rav Moshe Feinstein is posek in his teshuvot. He says, Lechatkila, we always want to take both opinions into consideration, and whichever time is earlier, that's what we do. And therefore, the Israeli that is coming here should try to sell his chametz to a goy there in Israel, because that is first, in order to avoid any, any she'elot. Um, and of course, an Israeli resident who is visiting North America or anywhere in the diaspora um, should not eat chametz on the eighth day of Pesach, just like as he should not do any other activity forbidden on Yom Tov, even in private. Um, I know some people are lenient about this, but really, really you shouldn't. Uh, if such a person has his own place of residence, um, then he doesn't need to partake in the second seder or the second Yom Tov, but if he's definitely, if he's being hosted by people, um, then he should participate in the second seder and he should not recite any of the brachot on the mitzvot, but instead just answer amen to the, to the brachot of others. Last but not least, what is the status of chametz that is sold following the holiday? After Pesach, it's best not to use the chametz until you know for sure that the rabbi has bought all of it back. Um, when necessary, uh, one could take out some chametz immediately after Pesach with a willingness to pay the non-Jew if he was to request it. But nevertheless, um, it is best that Bedin makes an explicit condition, or the rabbis make an explicit condition with the non-Jew that the Jew will be obligated to pay for any chametz, uh, any sold chametz that he takes, if indeed the non-Jew desires. Um, there are those that are strict not to eat any chametz that was sold. And the, according to the strict poskim that we mentioned at the beginning of the class, so they'll, they'll inquire, all oh, that chametz was sold, I'm not interested, I don't want to eat from it. Um, they, they hold that the sale is not legitimate and the chametz has a status of chametz shavar lav pesach which a person cannot eat or derive benefit from but like we said you don't have to be concerned about complying with such a stringency uh, the, the whole concept of chametz shavar lav pesach is rabbinic and whenever there's an uncertainty about a rabbinic law safek de rabbanan lekula the halacha always follows the lenient opinion all the more true when it's only a small amount of poskim who are strict and the overwhelming majority of rabbis permit selling chametz to a non-Jew before Pesach. Um, in fact, there were great, great chachamim who made a point that after Pesach, they would go eat chametz that was sold through mechirat chametz in order to demonstrate to everybody that the sale was done in, in keeping the halacha. Um, when... With that said, however, it's important that when you're shopping for food after Pesach, you need to make sure that the seller did his due diligence and sold the chametz in keeping with the halacha, so that chametz uh, is uh, so a person does not buy chametz shavar lava Pesach. If a person was lax or God forbid didn't sell his chametz, it's a sur to eat 
from the food that was that, uh, from that person um, until a new stock comes in. Generally, we like to say 30 days um, until you know for sure that all of his products or grocery is something that was not um, sitting there over the holiday unsold. Um, but if it's clear that the person did everything he needed to do he, from the moment of Bedikat Chametz and he searched for his Chametz and he annulled his Chametz, nullified, eliminated it, sold, and everything is Kadin Vakalacha, then it's permissible to buy Chametz from this independent merchant as soon as Pesach has ended. So, there it is, a little nutshell of uh, how it works, the history of why we do it. Um, we usually like to invite anybody that come that wants to see the sale uh, to come uh, come see it. Again, because of COVID this year, uh, like last year, we're, we're going to avoid big crowds. But in the future, by all means, uh, feel free to contact myself or your local rabbi Say, I want to see it. I want to see the, the way the transaction is done and all the steps involved because I can guarantee you that there is no more authentic sale fulfilling all the criteria from all the post scheme than Mechirat Chametz, the selling of the Chametz to a non-Jew. It is that important. God forbid, if we don't do it the right way, then people can be owning Chametz on Pesach, which is a biblical transgression and we don't want that. Wishing you all a wonderful night and looking forward to seeing you later on this week for Parashat HaShavua class. Kol Tuv, all the best.